What's up, everybody? Welcome to FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today is Emily Rand of ESPN. Hello. And this is the Esports is Working from Home edition of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Today, we will talk about the Overwatch League and its continued cancellations of its homestand, ESPN hosting an NBA 2K tournament with actual NBA players. But first, let's jump right into the NALCS. So, Emily, thank you again for being on the show. Before we jump into the nitty-gritty of the NALCS, let's start off from an overtop kind of overview. So, I mean, before playoffs, what have your impressions been of this split so far? Just North America from a competitive standpoint or like from an entertainment standpoint? Let's start off with the competitive standpoint and... Then we really have to talk about the entertainment stuff, especially with Monday Night League. Yeah, so um, I I do think that North America is a little bit behind other major regions. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who disagrees with that. The story has really been Cloud9 and how good they are, especially in spite of the fact that North America isn't, you know, looking particularly strong as... A region as a whole but I do think that for for me specifically I I think C9 are a legitimately good team I think the unfortunate part about them being in North America and you know compounded by the current situation is that they can't really leave to face better teams so if they wanted to do a boot camp somewhere else and try to face teams in Europe or try to face teams in South Korea or China they can't whereas previously when we see these teams rise up in North America, they typically have a chance to go practice against better opponents so they can continue to improve. That for me is kind of the drawback, but I think C9 is still like a really interesting story and I think they're a legitimately good team. And then on the entertainment front, I mean, have you at least found the production of the events so far to your liking? Yeah, I mean, the so the, the split was pretty like normal, you know, kind of a standard LCS split with the standard packages that they do around the LCS. And there have been a lot of really interesting narratives they've, they've definitely been leaning to, like a real, just really like series of unfortunate event after unfortunate event for Team Liquid and the fact that they had this incredible title run that they are now no longer going to be able to defend. Golden Guardians sneaking into the playoffs at the very last minute. I think that story is really interesting. TSM kind of struggling to break into a definitive top two like and from a production standpoint I've actually been really impressed with the LCS production how quickly they were able to turn things around I am very curious to see going forward how they're going to bring uh, some sort of like gravity to playoffs from a remote location because obviously they can't shoot you know, the typical sold uh, content that they want to around a playoff run or, or a final. So I'll be looking out to see how they kind of adapt to, you know, not being able to shoot on location and not being able to have maybe these like sit down long form feature interviews in person. Obviously, you can still do those over video chat. So I assume that they'll be able to adapt pretty quickly to that as well. And, you know, speaking of playoffs, I think the big surprise so far was Golden Guardians qualifying. So I mean, what happened there and how did they do it? How did they pull it off? So I actually think Golden Guardians, since Huhi has been starting for the main squad, I actually think that they have looked generally better, even in their losses. They had kind of a tough schedule right off the bat when when Huhi did end up starting. And even in their C9 game, they, they looked more cohesive. They looked better as a unit and they just looked generally more decisive. And I know I talked to Huhi after they qualified, 
And he said that he thinks that he just brings kind of an extra veteran presence. And I also think that even when people were really, really critical of his, you know, uh, micro like laning mechanics and matchup knowledge and, and stuff like that when he was a mid laner in the LCS previously, I think that one thing that people couldn't deny is the fact that he has a really good knowledge of side lane pressure and where to be on the map. And I think he has brought some of that to Golden Guardians. Um, So I think that's given them a bit more of a direction. Uh, And again, I don't know what their communication system is exactly, but it seems to have made them a more cohesive team. So In qualifying for playoffs, uh, when you have a whole bunch of North American teams that kind of lack an identity and are all in this weird, mediocre, as as Mark has brought up on broadcast soup, he's used as a description to describe anything pretty much below C9 all the way down to last place CLG, a a team that is more decisive and just kind of is generally on the same page is, is going to have an edge if other teams are struggling with their identities. I mean, the Golden Guardians are the last seed leading into the playoffs, and they're already in the loser's bracket, so they'll be playing against the winner of Evil Geniuses and FlyQuest. I mean, versus either EG or FlyQuest, how well do you think they would fare? I think it's going to be a bit difficult for them to be EG if EG stay in form, because I think of all of the teams, and one of the reasons why EG made it, uh, as opposed to kind of dropping down, is that they did find an identity, and it's been through their solo laners and trying to split pressure, especially with uh, Jazuke. Previously, it would be Jazuke split pushing by himself, and he wasn't coordinating well with the team. But now that they have figured out their coordination a lot better, they're able to leverage the pressure he creates. And I think that's actually been monumental for them uh, towards the end of the season. I think that's going to be really difficult for Golden Guardians to deal with if they face EG. Uh, if EG somehow managed to lose, I don't. I actually don't think they will, but... If they do. And then going up against FlyQuest, I think that's a more even matchup for Golden Guardians. FlyQuest actually began the split with more of an identity than I think they have now. And I don't know if that's because they're adding solo and so they're trying to to integrate a new part into their lineup. I think what FlyQuest wants to be is a really aggressive team that's always initiating and trying to create skirmishes around their opponent's lack of vision, but it always it doesn't always work. And it also has the unfortunate effect of if you are a team like that and you pick the wrong engages or you pick the wrong time to go in or you get caught out, it actually ends up looking so much worse to an audience than it is in execution, if that makes sense. It kind of snowballs negatively. So I do think that's a more even matchup for Golden Guardians, but I think both of them are going to be pretty tough. And you keep on bringing up this idea of identity. And, you know, I read your uh, feature earlier this week on ESPN about how the league is adapting to working remotely via the midst of coronavirus. But could you explain, you know, why, you know, you feel that identity is so important when having a cohesive team to compete with? I would say over the past like two to three years, we're seeing teams that have a really strong idea of like how they want to play be really, really successful when they go up against other teams on the international stage. And the reason for that, I think, is because when you when you go to an international competition, there's always a lot of scrim 
metas, I guess, that pop up. Like, basically, like, scrim mini-metas where people will be trying to figure out opponents and adjusting to new changes and new patches. And a team that has a really strong core identity and knows exactly how they want to play is going to end up being really successful. So in addition to having really strong mechanical players, like, across the board, right, you can't deny that that's G2's, like, primary strength. But I also think that G2's flexibility, the fact that they use that as their strength, the fact that they play around their solo laners, the fact that they have rotated to people who were originally solo laners to their bot lane and continue to play with a lot of what people consider to be like non-standard drafts and stuff like that. I think that's been a major strength for them internationally. I think similarly, FPX, you look at a lot of their drafts and they're objectively bad but they play really well and they know exactly how they want to play. It's something that North American teams have generally lacked. Hopefully we'll be able to see C9 continue their identity, which has really been this kind of super aggressive, like push forward always. You see teams like that and because they know exactly how they want to play, it gives them an advantage while everyone else is kind of trying to figure out how they want to play. I feel very strongly about League of Legends teams finding their own identity, even if their drafts look dumb. No, no, I think that's super important because it, it's 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 a team game, right? So, I mean, I cover a lot of fighting games and it's just a very different dynamic because you have to go in a lot of individual preparation. And right now, the identity, especially when everyone is practicing and playing remotely, the teams that gel the best, the teams that can really define themselves the best in a remote setting or in a split-off setting, I can see those ones as being the ones that actually do really well. And there's one of the players I was reading from Golden Guardians who really got his head back into the game. I mean, it, you know, it was really difficult not being able to see his teammates and practice with his teammates in the same uh, vicinity. But after they, you know, he kind of got his head back into the game, they were able to kind of like pull off the upset and qualify. The last topic of conversation before we jump on to Overwatch League is what is going on with viewership, right? Because the 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 first week of the split has still been the highest has still had the highest viewed games. And that was between TSM and Immortals. And that makes sense. Like TSM is still like the most popular team in the league. Uh, in your opinion, if everyone is at home... Wait, that first TSM... Sorry to interrupt. That first TSM Immortals game was the highest viewed. The like hour long slugfest in like week one that everyone was like, holy crap. Okay, I'm just, I'm just checking. That game was... Oof. That took, I felt like it took years off my life. You know, it's it's, it's according to Dot .esports, so if, if <laughs> anything is wrong, it's all because of Dot .esports. I'm, I'm using them as my reference point. Um, <laughs> was it Tyler Scarra is the one who I think wrote that article uh, earlier this oh, week? Oh, no, I trust it. I'm just saying that is hilarious. <laughs> well, right, and if that is the highest viewed match at 387,000 concurrence, what does that mean for the state of the league? And why isn't viewership higher if everyone is at home? Concurrence often shift a lot uh, based on matchup, to your point. And I don't know what the fluctuation was across the previous weeks when Mm -hmm. we were doing Monday Night League. I just know that the Monday Night League numbers specifically, before they cut them out, were really low in comparison to what they were getting on Saturdays and Sundays. So I feel like a lot of people look at LCK or they look at LPL more specifically and they're like how are they able to have games every day and when they were on LAN they would be having games that would actually be overlapping because they'd be at different venues. I think with the NA audience 
and also the European audience, there is a lot, there's just a lot less people. Um, and there's also a lot less people who are into esports. But I'd also be curious to see a combined numbers from LAN events with Monday Night League. I wanted Monday Night League to work, and I really liked what they were doing with it, and I wanted them to bring kind of like a different vibe to that, but it really didn't seem to be getting the viewership even before the coronavirus hit the U.S. so hard. I'm certain they're going to revisit that structure going forward as well. Mm. You know, let's uh, let's hound some of our friends over at the Esports Observer to try to get some of these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump off to the Overwatch League, and it is official that all Overwatch League homestands for 2020 have been canceled. This is probably not too surprising to everybody considering the ongoing, you know, it seems like the never-ending curse that is the coronavirus uh, that is currently plaguing the world. And even the, it even seems that the countries that have gotten over the brunt of it it's starting to reemerge again, so it really does seem very persnickety and will not leave no matter how hard we watch Netflix at home. As somebody who's been covering the Overwatch leaks from the beginning, uh, you know, 2020 was supposed to be a huge breakout year. What are the ramifications of these cancellations moving forward? Do you feel that it's temporary and then 2021, hopefully everything's back to normal, or do you think this is something that will have long-lasting impacts? I think it'll have long-lasting impact because the Chinese homestands were going to be really big. As far as I know, um, most of them, if not all of them, had sold out prior to cancellation. And that's actually really impressive when you think about the fact that only one of these teams was in the inaugural season, and they were winless. So going into this year, there appeared to be a massive you know, Chinese fan base that was ready to to buy into Overwatch League and having homestands in China was going to be very important for increasing viewership. And the reason why I keep bringing up Chinese viewership is just because esports are just so much more widely accepted in the general public. Um, League, of, League of Legends more than anything else. That's like a traditional sport in China. But in terms of people's buy into esports and their interactions with it, it's just something that's insanely popular. And because of the population size of China, I think it was really important for Blizzard Activision to get into that market. And delaying that another year after you only had one Chinese team in year one and you kind of had, I would say, like a generally down year two. You know, they expanded to more teams than they had initially planned for, right? And so that is another thing to consider. Did they expand too quickly in year two? That's the big thing for me regarding homestands is missing out on, like, really trying to capture that Chinese market at a crucial stage in Overwatch's development because the game itself has really fallen out of popularity and it's going to have even more competition by the time that Overwatch 2 comes out. And then additionally, I think the other thing that I was really looking forward to seeing and I think is really important to the development of Overwatch is that, you know, you were supposed to have this massive homecoming for the Seoul Dynasty, which is South Korea's team, where the majority of Overwatch League players are from. And I think that would have helped possibly revitalize Overwatch, at least for a brief period of time in PC Bongs and just like general chatter about it. I don't think it's ever going to be at its like, you know, how everyone was sharing 
PC bong numbers initially. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to return to that, but I do think it could have been a welcome boost for Overwatch in Korea, where it's really, really fallen out of popularity. I was already looking at it like, oof, like, I don't know if this is going to work, but the fact that they aren't able to break into and or revitalize some of these key markets is just really unfortunate. Like, obviously, there's nothing they can do about it, but it's something that people should be paying attention to for 2021. And speaking of you know, the Overwatch League being hit, we've already started to see our first layoffs in the league. Uh, Overactive Media, which oversees the Toronto Defiant and and Ultra, um, has laid off 13 people. Do you think this is the beginning for companies starting to lay off people during the the coronavirus, like, uh, slump? I mean, probably, just because I assume... Who do you think... Which team do you think is next? Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) But I think you'd probably be looking at orgs that have multiple teams across multiple esports and they did i mean cdl hasn't even returned yet so we don't really know what's going on with that and i think that is also probably affecting you know if you have staff for all of these teams that aren't even playing still i guess moving away from the business side let's uh i guess there isn't a really great way to transition to this next story but uh boston uprisings wallet mufon bustle has been accused of sexual misconduct from uh multiple women and According to uh, a report by Jalen Lopez for Dot Esports, he writes that, quote, the allegations state that MUFON has a history of predatory behavior, which includes soliciting and sending sexually explicit content to underage girls. A Twitch streamer, her name is Khaleesi BB, explained how uh, MUFON acted out after he attempted to start a romantic relationship with her at an event. And it's a lot of drunk texting and a lot of essentially him trying to make advances on women that clearly step over a line. Has Boston responded to these uh, allegations yet? And what do you think should be done? Um, As far as I know, they said that they and Blizzard would basically be doing a like investigation. He was removed from their match uh, on Saturday. And then, you know, they just basically released a statement on Twitter that said, we have learned of allegations, take allegations of this very seriously. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much they knew prior to this. So I know they say they're like investigating it now. I mean, it sucks. It's really shitty. And that's like a massive understatement. So uh, Boston has had some pretty rough history with this kind of thing. So you think that they'd be a bit more discerning about checking in on this. But yeah, I mean, it's just generally awful. You know, I do think that the Overwatch League probably won't have the same reaction that, like, the NFL did a few years ago um, with various players and uh, their abuses against women and how the NFL just kind of, like, gave them a fine and let let it slide because, hey, they're really good players and we still want them to play. I think the Overwatch League, because it is... Because its fan base, it's, it's largely younger and has grown up in an area where there's more sensitivity towards this kind of... Uh, for, for these kinds of things... I wouldn't be surprised if a heavy fine is levied and some kind of suspension, like a a large suspension is mounted, if not a complete kind of expulsion from the league. Maybe that would be the most, obviously that's the most extreme course of action, but I I don't think it's totally beyond the realm of possibility either. And I think you're right that Boston, uh, they should have learned their lesson and they should be, I mean, they should be training all of their players to uh, first not to be terrible people or do terrible things, allegedly, but to explain to them the importance of maintaining certain decorum now that 
I mean, not only for their own individual personal lives, but because they are representing not only an organization, a team, but they're also representing a city. So it'll be interesting to see what the Overwatch League does. Hopefully it doesn't kind of just get lost in lost in the conversation and, you know, nothing really happens. Let's move on to uh, the final topic of the show. ESPN is going to host an NBA 2K tournament featuring some of the best basketball players in the NBA. It will feature uh, players like Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets, who himself was uh, tested positive for the coronavirus, um, of, uh, what, last month? Yeah. When the, when the NBA was going through their all their testing. Yeah, yeah. It just, it was weird that, like, the NBA was able to test all of its players while most Funny states... Funny how that works! Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there was that one headline, I think it was by The Atlantic or The Athletic, where, like, because a player from the Utah Jazz tested positive, they were able to test every single player in the Utah Jazz, and they pretty much used up, like, four, 14 to 20% of the testing stockpile for the entire state, uh... It was just one team. So uh, that's a whole other conversation, which has in it a lot of annoyances about elites uh, or elite organizations and preferential treatment within our society. But some of the players that will be part of this uh, exhibition game on NBA 2K, of course, we said Kevin Durant, Trey Young, uh, Hassan Whiteside, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Andre Drummond, uh, Zach Levine, DeMontis Sobanes, and DeAndre uh, Ayton. Those are 10 of the 16. So, you know, it's it seems like a really cool event. NASCAR simulation racing and F1 simulation racing did really well for Sky Sports and for Fox Sports in terms of viewership and online engagement. With this NBA 2K event, do you think that we'll be seeing a similar level of enthusiasm from NBA fans? Or do you think it's just going to be filled with a bunch of people on Twitter saying, you know, why, why, why are they playing video games on ESPN? Nah, I think people are going to be a lot more receptive to this now. Part of the reason is obviously because there are no actual traditional sports going on. You know, like that helps. I think a lot of the uh, generally older fans that have some issues with this feel like it's taking away from a traditional sport that they might want to see. And obviously that's not going to happen right now because no major traditional sport is running in the United States. So I think people will be a lot more receptive to this. I feel like the demographic that ESPN has probably been trying to court anyway can definitely be found within the NBA specifically because you have so many young superstars that have massive individual fan bases. And no other league, in my opinion, is as... Like, no other major sports league is as plugged into esports as the NBA is, both on an ownership level... And from a player level, like all of the NBA players I've talked to have always at a bare minimum played video games themselves, even if it's just like super casually, and then also know of esports as a legitimate thing. And talking to a lot of players, specifically within the NBA, I still think the NBA is the most plugged in, but even talking to some NFL players and MLB players, A lot of them have said that video games are rising within the sports leagues themselves. This doesn't include the general traditional sports audience, but within sports players themselves, professional athletes are being encouraged to play video games as opposed to be doing something else in their offseason because there's a major difference between playing a video game and going out and like skiing or snowboarding or doing something that could potentially jeopardize your career due to like a a random injury because you know esports are 
not there, there's no contact well there should be no contact if there is contact i don't know what you're doing um it, you know maybe like throwing your controller across the room and it ricochets off your screen i don't know but generally it's low contact it doesn't interfere with training or anything like that so already i think video games generally were already becoming really popular and i think the combination of the fact that uh, a lot of the core audience that has vehement like disgust for esports doesn't have major traditional sports going on right now anyway will perhaps be more receptive I was really surprised that there wasn't any kind of overlap between NBA 2K League and this event. I mean, the NBA has a tradition, has an esports arm, and that esports arm could desperately use some increased viewership and attention. And what better way to get that increased viewership and attention than by featuring the actual NBA players that you know everyone loves and are huge fans of? And I, I'm really surprised that the NBA hasn't partnered with the 2K League. You know, whether it be inviting on like some of the 2K League players to play in this as well, help them out, or whatever. You know, whatever have you, whatever they could have done to kind of cross the two together, I think it would have been really beneficial. And it's really unfortunate that that's not the case. I don't know if it's like a contractual thing or something like that. I do know that the 2K League, for example, they weren't able to get a license to use the actual likenesses of the NBA players. That's why the 2K League uses like the uh, 2K player, their own custom-made avatars. Maybe that was an issue, but regardless of kind of the weird, you know, contractual miasma, Mm -hmm. it is unfortunate and i don't i think it would have been really good for the two to have worked together yeah it is it is super unlucky uh i'll i'll interject because i consulted because again like i'm more of a a features uh like analytical writer so i consulted your friend and mine jacob wolf he said that is at the heart of the 2k league's inability to be a part of some of these things it does come down to a web of licensing and likeness issues that are involved with the NBA giving their likenesses to NBA 2K um, and then the NBA 2K League then, you know, using those. So it's, uh, it seems like a web of like likeness rights issues that's just really unfortunate because yeah, like 2K in the esports scene like isn't really well known or well watched. So it could have used the it could have used the bump. Definitely. And now let's transition to some idle chit chat. So Emily, when you're waiting for a game of league to come up and it's taking forever because everyone's watching Netflix, everyone's watching Tiger King on Netflix at the same time, just eating up the bandwidth. <laughs> uh, what are you chatting with your with with your friends about? So my idle chit chat topic is actually something that I only talk with one of my friends about because it's kind of a niche thing. But for people who are really missing watching, getting their like traditional sports fix, the Korean baseball organization, so the KBO, uh, of which I am an LG Twins fan, but um, you don't have to go super deep and, and pick a team if you don't want to. You will recognize some some names, some sponsorship names that also have LOL Champions Korea teams like KT, like Hanwha, like SK Telecom. So, you know, you have like a lot of sponsor crossover, but these teams have been doing inter-squad scrims basically with each other um, because they obviously have pretty strict restrictions due to, you know, coronavirus uh, isolation, social distancing stuff. But it's been fun to watch. And if people kind of want to get 
their baseball fix. Um, I know baseball is probably like the least popular of major sports, but I'm a huge baseball fan. It's been really fun watching some of these matches, and I highly suggest that people follow Dan Kurtz, who's at MyKBO on Twitter, to get updates if you just kind of want to find your baseball fix and see some some fun. It's not going to be the, you know, the height of a... Uh, the baseball experience, but it is fun and it's kind of uh, given me my baseball fix uh, since obviously the league was supposed to start this week and it, it's not. Where does one in America even get to, how do you even watch Korean baseball? Is it on some streaming platform? Yeah, so it used to be that you had to go on Naver, which is a Korean website for a lot of different things, but you'd, you'd pull up a Naver stream. Or I, I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I think it's like not. But anyway, I should I should be pronouncing these things correctly because I can read Hangul. <laughs> but I think uh, most of them have been uploaded to YouTube now. So they've been doing a pretty good job of, of trying to, you know, reach out and also even stream on YouTube. Like the Twins uh, inter-squad baseball match yesterday was streamed on YouTube. Very cool. And uh, for me, uh, my idol chit-chat, the, the, the stuff that I'm talking to with my friends over a game of Smash where online voice chat is just a cumbersome endeavor is what is what's happening with uh wall street bets i don't know if you're a fan of the wall street bet subreddit uh where it's a very caustic and it's where they really gamify wall street to the point of uh ridiculousness i mean the other day i was on and some guy was just like i'm gonna bet against this market with seven hundred thousand dollars everyone's like oh my god this guy is about to, he really thinks that the economy is going to go into a depression but wall street bets is essentially adopting the esports model or they're calling it esports like where they're going to have an event at the esports stadium in arlington which will you know it'll be like competitive stock option trading (laughs) and i just think that is so funny that's hilarious so funny and so ridiculous uh i just cannot wait to to just jump in and (laughs) oh you know what's funny The, the, the worst part is that these guys like in real life probably always fail at the stock market right they uh, like they always end up losing a bunch of money but then when they're in this like competitive environment where it's all kind of virtual and they probably aren't going to be using actual money they're going to walk away with like multi-million like millions upon millions of dollars and i do wonder if there will be fans who will be watching it at the same time we're like okay i gotta i gotta like put my i don't know i gotta buy 500 (laughs) shares of like target or whatever and then People are actually following along and losing their own or gaining money in real time. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of, like, a thing we did in, like, fifth grade. <laughs> As, like, you, like, teamed up with a bunch of people and you just randomly followed your stocks. Yeah, exactly. I think there was an episode of Full House that <laughs> had that premise. <laughs> Which I think oh, is, like, showing God. at least my age. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if anybody... Any, any of your younger listeners know what Full House is? I, I assume that I'm older than mm, you, so... I don't know. Uh, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after, uh, uh, after we're done recording. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. Follow Emily on Twitter at League of Emily, and be sure to check out her recent profile on Booga, the Fortnite world champion, on ESPN.com slash esports. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ahmad. I have some articles coming down the pipeline for the New York Times, so be sure to keep an eye out. Annie Pay produced this podcast. If you have any questions for the show, direct it to her over at Pay underscore Annie on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choosing. And with that, we'll see you guys next week.